This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. The back of 3, verse 1. Would you stand? Can you find it? <clears throat> A prayer of the back of the prophet on Shiganoth. O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from his hand, and there his power was hidden. Before him went pestilence, and fever followed at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations, and the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills bowed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian trembled. O Lord, were you displeased with the rivers? Was your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation? Your bow was made quite ready. Your bow was made quite ready. Oaths were sworn over your arrows. Selah. You divided the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered its voice and lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of your arrows they went, at the shining of your glittering spear. You marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for salvation with your anointed. You struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare from foundation to neck. Selah. You trust through with his own arrows, the head of his villages. They came out like a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was like feasting on the poor in secret. You walked through the sea with your horses, through the heap of great waters. When I heard my body trembled, my lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself, that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, Though the labor of the olive may, may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high heels to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we do come again in the name of Jesus. Lord, uh, asking for your help here as we uh, consider the passage before us. We pray, Lord, that you open our minds, open our hearts. Lord, uh, lift our attention toward you. May we see your glory in your word today. 
We ask that you enable us so that your word is faithfully and accurately proclaimed. Lord, so that it doesn't fall on deaf ears. Give us ears to hear. May we see in the passage before us your greatness, your majesty, your holiness. And may we stand in awe of you. Like Habakkuk, submitting to your authority, to your will, willingly. May our love for you increase. And again, like Habakkuk, may it be that our joy is grounded in you and your works. We love you. We thank you. We ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> Music is an awesome, awesome gift of God. And Hannah, I appreciate the song. And Jackie is very good. Um, in my own experience as a musician, I've, I've used the gift of music in uh, bad ways. And uh, by God's grace, I think also uh, in good ways, in the ways that uh, it, it is intended to be used. All things, all things are created for the glory of God. Things, um, creatures like you and I, we, we are here for God's glory. And this is uh, especially true, again, it's true of all things, but in, in a unique way, maybe I should say it that way, in a unique way it is, it is true of uh, gifts like music, poetry, or even just, uh, you might say, well, you know what, I, I, I'm not a poet and I'm not a musician. Well, I bet you can think. I bet you can muse where the term music comes from. Uh, maybe you can't do it in a, a, a musical form, but you can muse. You can think about the greatness of God. You can think about how... It applies to your life, how, how the person of God and the will of God and the works of God have a bearing on your life. And the result of that can be tremendous uh, in your life. God has set human beings apart in this way. Uh, creativity, intellectual ability, and it's all for His Glory, all to be expressed for His glory. Now, I want to, but before I, I start here, because there's some concepts that we're going to be dealing with here, and, and uh, it was just interesting to me that it was kind of flowing throughout the songs we were singing this morning. 
I did request one of them, the, the last song. Uh, I, I asked to be put on the list, but not, not the others. And uh, let's see, first we did hymn number six, Holy, 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 awesome song. Uh, Verse uh, 3, Holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee, though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see, only thou art holy, there is none beside thee, perfect in power, in love, and purity. We'll see, Habakkuk, and as Zachary just read, Habakkuk talks about... uh, the works of the Lord being veiled, thy glory, the hymn writer says, um, the eye of sinful man, thy glory may not see. It's not that God's glory isn't seen or cannot be seen. It's not, in other words, it's not that it's not displayed, but it's that sin blinds us to it. Then, hymn number 31, stand up. Stand up for Jesus. Encouragement in the fourth verse. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. The strife will not be long. This day the noise of battle, the next, the victor's song. (laughs) To him that overcometh, a crown of life shall be. He with the King of glory shall reign eternally. A a, a theme prevalent in uh, hymns throughout the ages, the church age and and, uh, yeah, well, a theme prevalent in Scripture, that we suffer in this world and we battle in this world. So this day, the noise of battle, but take heart is, is the, the encouragement here, because the strife will not be long. It may seem like it, but uh, it's for a day, and the next day we sing the victor's song. And then, again, the song I did request to be sung because uh, this came to me came to my mind as I was re- reading this week in Habakkuk 3 um, and considering what Habakkuk in his day was going through and his his uh, his mind being troubled because of the affliction coming on the people of God and I thought about Horatio Spafford and his experience uh, in the early 20th century uh, when he was he was from Chicago, and he was to take a business trip to uh, to London, and intended to take his family with him. And because of unforeseen events, I, I believe it was actually uh, the, the the fire, the, the Chicago fire. Um, he had to he had to postpone his trip, but sent his family on ahead, told them to go, and he would catch up. Um, and remember, in those days, that's that's going by boat, and it's a slow, long, slow process. They didn't have the uh, jets. Um, well, he he received when when his I believe it was his wife that made it. When his wife made it, she wired him, and he received word that all of his children had perished at sea. Um, ship had gone down somehow. She had been uh, rescued, and uh, her words were essentially. Um, you know, I'm here, I'm in London, I alone arrived safely. And as you can imagine, uh, a father, um, the hurt, father losing his children, and he went on and sailed to London and 
made sure that uh, the navigators would <clears throat> let him know when they passed over the spot where his children perished. And it was while passing over that spot, standing on the deck of the ship, that he penned this hymn on page 73. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, he says to God, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And notice, uh, he too, just like in the, the, the previous hymn that we talked about, um, he too looks for the coming day when we sing the victor's song. Verse 4, And Lord, haste the day when fate shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back like a scroll, the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Affliction in this life, sorrow, pain, trouble, but only, only temporarily, and then reward. Well, we've seen as, we, as we've been moving through Habakkuk that this is exactly what he's dealing with. First, his, uh, his question that he presents to the Lord, his complaint, uh, if you will, that he presents to the Lord is that uh, there is trouble in his own society. God's people, the nation of Israel. There's violence, there's iniquity, there's trouble, there's strife and contention. And Habakkuk wants to know, Lord, how can you allow this to be? And the Lord responds, instructs him to look among the nations. Now, this, this is kind of what I want us to key in on this morning. Um, keep in mind, and this, this is a love song. Chapter 3 is a love song to the Lord, our prayer in the form of a song. And uh, that's why uh, I put that, had that title <clears throat> put in the bulletin. But th- think of it in this light, too. Um, coming, terms, coming to terms with the sovereignty of God. Coming to terms with the sovereignty of God. Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. What, what in the world... Uh, did Horatio Spafford mean when he penned those words? Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say. Well, I think he meant the same thing. We're going to see Habakkuk means in his song in chapter 3. So the Lord answers the first question by saying, Look among the nations and gives a revelation Concerning his sovereignty, Habakkuk wants to know, why are, why are you allowing corruption in our society? And God responds by illuminating uh, Habakkuk's understanding concerning his sovereignty. sovereignty. He doesn't directly answer, here's why I allow this or that. He just answers by saying, I'm in control. Look among the nations, and I mean it's bigger, bigger than you think, Habakkuk. You're, you're looking at your town, your village, your country, your society, and the Lord is responding, saying, "It's it's bigger than that. Not only am I 
have I not lost control in Israel, but I'm, but I'm in control everywhere. Look, look among the nations, and I'll show you what I'm doing. I'm raising up the Chaldeans. Probably the greatest, most powerful nation on the face of the earth at that time. And the Lord is saying, I'm using them to fulfill my will. Well, Habakkuk knows the, the, uh, the ruthlessness, the wickedness of the Chaldeans, and so he comes back again with another question, essentially asking, Lord, how can you use a wicked nation like that to devour one more righteous than themselves? And the Lord responds again in chapter 2, which is where we were last week, and talks about how he deals with the proud and how he will bring judgment, not only on Israel. He's bringing judgment on Israel for the corruption that Habakkuk sees, and he's bringing it in the form of conquest. That is, the Chaldeans will come in and uh, destroy Israel, and that will be judgment upon Israel for their sin, and then God will judge the Chaldeans, for their sinfulness in the conquest. So again, he he points Habakkuk to his own power and sovereignty. And all of the while, the demand is, trust me. Trust me. I'm in control. Trust me. Chapter 2, verse 4. The just shall live by his faith. God is trustworthy. He's not only, uh, and I use these words intentionally and, and carefully, He's not only absolutely sovereign, but He is absolutely trustworthy. And now, Habakkuk in chapter 3 is coming to terms with all of this. It's not exactly the answer that he wanted. Not, not, that, he, not that he dislikes the sovereignty of God. Everybody is happy to sing a song about God's sovereignty when they see the whole thing as working in their favor the way they want it to work. <laughs> but but when it's not working out the way they want it to work, it becomes a more difficult doctrine to deal with. And so Habakkuk is coming to terms with that. And he winds up, after complaining, twice, he winds up singing a song of love and praise to his sovereign God, and standing in awe of Him. Now, I would submit this to you. That, that's where God was taking it the whole time. Habakkuk is asking a question. You know, he's, he's looking at himself and his own situation and wondering, how can this be? And what God does the whole time is point him upward. Look at me. Trust me, love me, praise me, worship me. And the revelations, the true revelations God gives Habakkuk 
are successful in that. That's where Habakkuk winds up. He starts out complaining. He winds up praising. Coming to terms with the sovereignty of God in light of the holiness of God. Now, this I said already said this is a song. Again, awesome gift God has given us. And, and you can see, uh, as we mentioned Wednesday night and I think last Sunday too, you can see the poetic form here just by the layout of the, of the page. Some of the language um, is a little difficult, and that's why I want you to keep that in mind, that this is, this is prophetic genre. It's in the category of prophetic genre. And some of the, some of the language here is symbolic. It's, it's not meant, some of it, to be taken literally. The, the idea behind it, and think of it just for a moment in, in, uh, similarly to how you would think of, of a parable that Jesus gives. The idea behind it is not that we should take every word literally and try to apply it literally. The idea behind it is, is that we should understand the greatness and the glory and the power of God. I'll try to point some of those things out as, as we go. In verse 1, Habakkuk kind of gives his own little intro for it. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on a Shigianoth. What is that? Well, nobody's really sure. <laughs> Could be a reference to an uh, instrument of some kind. I mean, I mean it seems that uh, Habakkuk was probably a musician, temple musician. And he's written this for, if you look at the very last verse, to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. So, uh, you know, Habakkuk sat down with his guitar and, and uh, whatever kind of stringed instrument he had and, and wrote this song of praise. So, it, the Shigianoth could be uh, a reference to some kind of instrument. It could be just a, like a musical uh, style of, of some sort. Um, it's, it's translated uh, in that way. Hmm. In, in uh, some of the Psalms, it's the idea, of, a, in other words, of a meditation uh, that he's talking about here. All right, so it, it is a prayer, first of all, in the form of a song. He says, uh, on the... Uh, on, the, on his uh, Shigianoth, or in, the, in that form, like a, like a meditation. And then uh, he goes on to say, O Lord, and here, here's where it starts. I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of a, a breakdown as far as structure here. And this is just, uh, just kind of help us see that it, that it is written in a, uh, a, a form of, of a song. O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Now, here's, here's the breakdown I'm going to submit to you. It makes sense to me. Well, I don't think we can know 100% for sure. But if, if we're just going to put it like in modern uh, terms, that would be the refrain. His, his cry, I've heard of you. I've heard of your fame. And then there are three verses or stanzas introduced with a short uh, title sub- followed by uh, the term Selah. Now, that's, that's another musical term that we're not absolutely certain about the meaning of, but it seems to indicate a, a pause 
uh, for the idea of meditation, or perhaps just introducing uh, a new shift in the song. So you've got you've got three verses. Uh, first, the refrain in verse two, and then uh, in verse three, the first verse: God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. So here's here's the beginning. That's like the title: God came from from Teman, and then he goes into the verse. In the second part of that verse, His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light, and had rays flashing from His hand, and so forth. You get down to um, verse 8. Finishes in verse 8. New verse begins in verse 9. Your bow was made quite ready. Oaths were sworn over your arrows. Selah. So another, another uh, uh, transition here. Title, and then the verse, You divided the earth with rivers and the mountains. You uh, saw you and trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by and, and so forth. And you get all the way down to, uh, that ends at verse 13, mid-verse. And then another verse begins. For salvation with your anointed, you struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare the foundation to, ne- to the neck. Selah. Starts a new uh, thought here. Uh, you thrust through with his own arrows the head of his villages. And he goes on to describe the defeat of the enemy. And then you come down to verse 16, which would be uh, like uh, what we would call a bridge. And I would also call it uh, just an expression here of, of, uh, of Habakkuk's conclusion to all these things. Where, where he's come, how he's come to think about all of these things that God has revealed to him, how he's come to think about God's power and his greatness is expressed in the bridge. And it is this, verse 16. When I heard, my body trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up, to, when he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. And then, his uh, great expression of trust in the Lord <clears throat> and joy in the Lord. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the field yield no fruit, food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on my high heels to the chief musician with my string instruments. So roughly, that's, that's, uh, that's the, the structure. Now let's take that a little bit at a time. And I don't know how far we'll get today. <clears throat> but uh, I was hoping to kind of cover the structure and then get in uh, next uh, time to verses 16 and 17. Now let's go back for a moment to the refrain. Verse 2. O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. Notice the verb heard there, because this, this again is where he winds up. If you look uh, in verse 16, when I heard, my body trembled. It's the same, same verb, same tense. Verse 2, I have heard your speech and was afraid. Verse 16, when I heard, my body Trembled, My lips quivered at the voice. He raised his complaints, his questions to the Lord, and God spoke. The prophet heard the answers of Yahweh. 
his Lord. Yahweh, as we talked about before, made himself known through the revelation of his will, through his word. And Habakkuk was in awe of him. Again, verse 2 reads this way in the uh, New International Version. Lord, I have heard your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. In other words, um, that's the idea behind the word fear here. Verse 2, or afraid. I have heard your speech and was afraid. I stand in awe. I've heard of your fame, your your works, what you've done in the past. Now, this this is where he goes uh, in the first part of his song and his prayer. He reminds himself of the works of God in the past. What Habakkuk is wanting here in this situation is victory. <laughs> and he wants immediate victory. Now, the Lord, in his revelation, in his word to Habakkuk, he's, he's promised victory. He has said, I'm going to bring judgment on Israel by raising up the Chaldeans and destroying the land. Uh, Not exactly the way Habakkuk wanted it done, but nevertheless, that would be justice, wouldn't it? God is bringing justice for corruption. And then he also made clear in chapter 2 that he's also going to bring judgment on the wicked Chaldeans. So justice will be served. Justice will be done in the end. But Habakkuk wants it immediately. What he's, what he's praying for originally is, Lord, do it now. In other words, change the circumstances now so I don't have to deal with this trouble, so that I don't have to walk through the affliction. Hasten the day, like Spafford said. And he begins to recount situations in which God had done that in the past. And boy, they had a history, didn't they? The, the, the children of Israel, they had a history of those kinds of victories. In spite of their own sin, God would come in again and again and again with miraculous deliverances. And that's what Habakkuk is praying for. Lord, I've heard of your speech, or again as the NIV reads, I have heard of your fame, I stand in awe of your deeds. And now he prays again in verse 2, revive your work in the midst of the years. He's, he's saying, make it alive now, that, that kind of deliverance that you've done in the past, bring it to pass now, revive your works in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. It's an awesome prayer, isn't it? Habakkuk prays for deliverance. God uh, answers with uh, revelation concerning His wrath and how His wrath will be executed on the, on the nation of Israel and how His wrath will be executed on Israel's afflictors. And Habakkuk prays and says, Lord... Remember mercy. Remember mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. And he begins to recite 
how God has shown mercy in the past. In, in prayer, a good thing to do, by the way. It actually is a, is a way of praising God by recounting what He has done already for us. It's a way of expressing confidence in His power and in His, His, uh, His commitment. He's a covenant keeper. And so Habakkuk begins to point this out in his supplication. God came, verse 3, God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. It's a reference to the deliverance from Egypt and uh, how God brought them out through these places, Teman and Mount Paran, in a mighty way. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of His praise. Habakkuk is recalling a day when God's glory was manifest in such a way that it was known, at least to his people. Other people were blind to it. Sometimes his own people <laughs> weren't seeing clearly. But God's power and his glory was manifest. It was displayed openly. He brought the children of Israel out of Egypt with a mighty arm. The plagues that he brought upon Egypt, that brought about their release... And then when they were cornered between the Egyptians, the, the, the pursuing Egyptians and, and the Red Sea, God again displayed His power and His glory by dividing the sea and leading the children of Israel through, and, and then by closing the waters again on the Egyptian army and drowning them, setting the children of Israel free. Led them by day in the form of a cloud, Shekinah, Glory, and by night, pillar of fire, God's power, His glory was openly manifest. And Habakkuk is, is longing for that now. Revive your work, O Lord. In wrath, remember mercy. That is, deliver now like you did then, is what he's asking for. Then, your glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of praise. And the Lord has already revealed that we're heading back. We're heading for a time like that, not necessarily back to that, but to another time when it'll, it'll even be uh, so in a greater way. Chapter 2, verse 14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk is praying for it to be so now. And doing that by remembering what he has heard. I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of you. He goes on in verse 4. His brightness, that is God's brightness, was like the light. He had rays flashing from his hand, and there his power was hidden. Now, this is an example of what I was talking about earlier, the, the, the prophetic genre uh, and also the uh, uh, anthropomorphisms. That's a big word, but it just means that God has spoken about uh, in such a way that he's described like a man. So you see the word hand here. Well, God doesn't have a hand. God is spirit. It's, it's, it's poetic language, prophetic genre. It's Again, the, the intention here is not that we would think that literally God is, is flashing rays from His hand, 
but it's just a way of speaking about His power and glory. His brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from His hand, and there His power was hidden. Now, that's interesting. Put that right in the middle here, isn't it? Because he's, he's talking about the open manifestation of God's glory, the brightness. And then He says, His power was hidden. It was veiled. Though, the, psalm, the hymn writer says, uh, though the eye of sinful man may not see. It's, again, it's not that His glory is not made known all the time, but it's that because of sin we are blind to it. So it, even in these, these uh, powerful manifestations of God's glory, yet to a degree it was hidden, veiled. Verse 5, he again, uh, speaking about God's power in some maybe some surprising ways. Before him went pestilence, and fever followed at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and, started the, and startled the nations, and the everlasting mountains were scattered. Again, prophetic genre. The perpetual hills bowed. His ways are everlasting. It's a way of, all of this is a way of expressing God's sovereignty over all of creation. It's a way of expressing His supremacy over all of creation. The mountains that to us are great and immovable, if they were animate, would flee at the very presence of God. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian trembled. O Lord, were you displeased with the rivers? Was your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation? God coming to provide deliverance. Pictured as a rider on horses. in chariots of salvation. That brings us to the second line, which gives us the motivation um, behind God's display of power, and that is our salvation. And he goes on to say, Your bow was made quite ready. Oaths were sworn over your arrows. You divided the earth with the rivers. The mountains saw you and trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. Again, just all expressions of, uh, of the, the Display of the power and glory of God in rescuing His people. The deep uttered its voice and lifted its hand on high. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of your arrows they went. At the shining of your glittering spear. You marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. You went forth for the salvation of your people. Now, in the first stanza, there's a lot of emphasis on... uh, past displays of God's power and uh, or you could say manifestations of, of power and in the second stanza that continues but he also gives us the motivation in other words God displayed or manifested his power for the salvation of his people and that's what again Habakkuk is longing for now Oh, that God would display His power 
for the salvation of his people. Same verse, verse 13, starts a new stanza here, um, talking about the defeat of God's enemies. By laying bare uh, from foundation to neck, Selah, you thrust through with his own arrows the head of his villages. They came out like a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was like feasting on the poor in secret. You walked through the sea with your horses, through the heap of great waters. When I heard my body tremble, now let me... Stop there, get ahead of myself. Um, so there he's, he's describing manifestations of God's power, gives him hope, and he's, he's recounting them before the Lord as part of a prayer, as part of praise and prayer. The motivation, which again is for the salvation of God's people, what Habakkuk desires here, and he ends up by talking about, uh, in, the, in the last stanza there, by talking about God defeating... His enemies. God defeating His enemies. God defeating the enemies of the people of God. Now, all of the revelation that God has just given him assures that this will be the outcome. That God will again manifest His power. That God will again defeat the enemy. And that ultimately... Um, the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. But there's a, a meantime. It's, it's not <clears throat> immediate here. As a matter of fact, as, as Habakkuk is receiving this revelation and as he's praying this prayer, he still has to look forward to the invasion of the Chaldeans. So in other words, while, he's, while he, he begins by complaining about trouble and corruption, affliction, what God reveals to him is, yes, and, and it's, it's not over. And in fact, it's going it's to get worse for a while because the enemies of God's people will come in, overtake them, and there will be 70 years of captivity in Babylon before your return to the land. So, at this point, Habakkuk is not only looking forward to a, a day of deliverance, but he's also looking forward to things getting even harder before they get better. And so, he's, he, again, he sets his mind on the power of God, the sovereignty of God, and on past deliverances. He knows God is faithful to do the same again. Now, he says in verse 16, When I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Presumably here, he's, he's talking about the revelation he has received from God. You uh, remember back in uh, chapter 2, verse 1, his determination to hear from God. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me. Well, now he's on the other side of that. I have heard. He was determined back then to hear God's answer. And now he says, 
When I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones. And I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When He comes up to the people, He will invade them with His troops. Now, I want to give you, before we... uh, before I conclude here, I want to give you two readings on that, two options here. Um, and let's see exactly uh, what Habakkuk is saying here in verse 16. Considering all these things, the complaints that he's made, the corruption in the land, the uh, invading army that will be coming soon, all of the revelation that God has given him, when I heard my body tremble, In other words, these things, what God has said, what God has shown, what God has revealed, actually brought fear to Habakkuk. My body trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, at what God had revealed to him, at God speaking. Rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might trust in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. Now, the New American Standard reads this way. I heard in my inward part, and my inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones, and in my place I tremble. Because I must wait quietly for the day of distress, for the people to arise who will invade us. Now, there, there's two, two options here. Um, most transla- uh, Some other translations say something to the effect, um, wait quiet, quietly for the day of distress, and the idea is to come upon the people who invade us. So, if that's the correct rendering, Habakkuk would be, would be saying, uh, I must wait patiently through this invasion... And wait patiently for God to bring recompense on our invaders. It's a fearful thought. In other words, that he's got a period yet to go through before all this comes to be. And certainly that makes sense. Or, as I just read in the New American Standard, if this is the correct rendering, it would be, I must wait quietly for the days of distress for the people to arise who will invade us. In other words, what he's saying is, I've complained to God about corruption in the land, about the wicked overtaking the righteous, and God's answer made me tremble and quiver because I must wait, I must... Wait patiently now for this invasion to come. Now, it makes sense either way, because he does have to wait uh, for the invasion either way. God has revealed to him now what's going to happen, and he has to wait patiently for the enemy to come and invade and overtake the land, and then wait patiently for deliverance. And so he winds up here expressing 
trust in God. Because, as we, we so often say, it may sound like a light way to put it, but, you know, we, we often say God knows what He's doing. God knows what He's doing. And that's the conclusion that Habakkuk arrives at. God knows what He's doing. I, I tremble at the things that I'm hearing will have to come to pass. Tremble uh, even at the greatness of God and the power of God. But I'll wait patiently for it and my joy will be in Him. God's in control. My joy will be in Him. I want to, before we close, just read you uh, an account here of another person coming to terms with the sovereignty of God. Jonathan Edwards, a great 18th century uh, theologian, American theologian. And this is just a few little excerpts. From my childhood, and this is Jonathan Edwards writing, From my childhood up, my mind had been full of objections against the doctrine of God's sovereignty. It used to appear like a horrible doctrine to me. But I remember the time very well when I seemed to be convinced and fully satisfied as to this sovereignty of God. But never could I give an account how... Or by what means I was thus convinced. Not in the least imagining at the time, nor a long time after, that there was any extraordinary influence of God's Spirit in it. But only that now I saw further, and my reason apprehended the justice and reasonableness of it. Jonathan Edwards is saying, it's not like there was some... Uh, bam, some supernatural event. But he just remembers shifting in his thinking to a point where he began to see the reasonableness and the justice in the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. However, he goes on to say, my mind rested in it. And it put an end to all those cavils and objections. And there has been a wonderful alteration in my mind in respect to the doctrine of God's sovereignty. From that day to this, so that I scarce ever have found so much as the rising of an objection against it in the most absolute sense. I have often since had not only a conviction but a delightful conviction. The doctrine has very often appeared exceeding pleasant, bright, and sweet. Absolute sovereignty is what I love to ascribe to God, Jonathan Edwards says. But my first conviction was not so. <laughs> and that's similar to the story of Habakkuk. Lord, why are these things so? Why is there evil and why do you permit it? And God essentially answers by saying, I'm in control. And it's not over yet. There's, there's, there's more coming, but I'm in control. Trust me, the just shall live by faith. He, he says, behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but... The just shall live by his faith.
And as is the case with, was the case with Jonathan Edwards, was the case with Habakkuk. As God revealed in His Word His own power and sovereignty, there was an alteration in Habakkuk's thinking. So that he comes into this book complaining and comes out of it praising. Expressing trust in God. And the very thing that made him at one time tremble and quiver, his lips quiver, becomes sweet, as Edwards says. So that Habakkuk finally says in verse 18, Yet, though all these things be, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. And that's the effect that the doctrine of sovereignty is intended to have. Now, let me say that another way. It's kind of like saying the same thing. <laughs> but that's the effect that getting understanding about the person of God is intended to have. In other words, the more we know Him, the bigger He gets. The more we cry out to Him and pray like Habakkuk does, and the more God answers through His Word, the bigger He gets. And the more we know about Him, the sweeter it gets. Until finally, like Edwards, even those things about God that struck fear in your heart. And, and let me say this real quick. Uh, we're, we're not get off too deep in this. In fact, we time to close. But, but uh, uh, <clears throat> it was a great struggle for me personally. And I like Edwards' terminology, the absolute sovereignty. I like to subscribe to God. He says absolute sovereignty. Um, can't be much more emphatic or clearer than that. It was a great struggle for me personally, and I know very few, if any, people that uh, wouldn't say the same thing. But at some point, as God grants understanding, it just gets sweet. Sweet. A fool soul, I always think of this proverb, a fool soul loathes a honeycomb, but to the hungry soul every bitter thing is sweet. The doctrine of God is sweet. And the more we know about Him, the more we find, like Habakkuk, that He is trustworthy. Worthy of our absolute devotion. Worthy of our absolute trust. Lord willing, uh, next time, we're, we're not, you know, tonight we'll be having the singing. Lord willing, next Sunday... I want to uh, come back and look at just the last few verses here, um, where he winds up and his uh, this great uh, affirmation of faith in Yahweh, his God. Let's pray.
This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.